Alexis is a conqueror. No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never right. been anybody that's right. I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from their club. There's no one that can match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat your children. It was just banter. Stay off the weed! And England win on penalties! History in itself! You know, I think it's a great city. I think they got the best organization in the NBA. But they do have some big old wins. I'm here with the winner, Derek Lewis. Derek, why don't you take your pants off? Balls are fun. I understand. Come on, take it quickly, Reggie! Yes, good match. No money's in the fucking reserves. Listen, I ain't gonna forget about this by the time we get back. Hello and welcome to episode 233 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett. No Alex Jones today. He actually doesn't give me a reason as to why, so I'll let everyone speculate. Jack says he can't come on as he's too hungover. Not as if the rest of the country was drinking watching England yesterday, but apparently it's too much for Jack to deal with. He's had a day off work. He's had a whole year off work, but he can't bring himself to pod. We do have Luke Evans here with us today. Ever Lovely to have you with us. We've got an exclusive get some insight from you in terms of uh, what Spurs can expect from Fonseca, which we will get to just after some news of the week, as always. We do have some quite good headlines this week, so you've got something to look forward to. Start as we mean to go on. First headline. Petition urging Jeff Bezos to buy an Eat the Mona Lisa against Steam. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Imagine if he did. Phenomenal. <laughs> um, Dad left needing therapy after fish and chips cost him fifty-four pounds. I saw that. Wasn't he from yeah. Yorkshire or somewhere? Buying it in London or something ridiculous. I mean, I've seen a picture of him, and if you told me he was from Yorkshire, that would add up. So. Uh... <laughs> um. Emilia Clarke's debut comic book follows a single mum whose secret weapon is her period. So uh, look out for that one, TK. Blimey. Um, after a pregnant goat goes missing, a man in his underwear scares a grizzly bear away. That's is this goat being pregnant relevant? Or? Yeah, what? <laughs> I mean, we don't read past the headline, so I can't tell you. Uh, a follow-up to uh, a previous story. So charges have been filed against the butt-crack bandit after Parsons' burglary. So uh, just an update on his situation. Um, New Orleans Strip Club says it is now accepting says it's now accepting ugly chicks due to exotic dancer shortage. Tough time. Fair enough. Uh, Retired nun to plead guilty to embezzling $835,000 from Los Angeles school for gambling habit. <laughs> Neo-Nazi jailed for tattooing swastika on his own testicle. Who saw that? 
how racist do you have to be when you're willing to tattoo a swastika <laughs> onto your ball? <laughs> that's some that's some passionate beliefs. A Massachusetts man who was trapped inside a humpback whale's mouth earlier today off the Cape and was luckily spit out. So yeah, he was uh, well eaten, not chewed, and spat back out. So. Uh, there you go. Everyone makes mistakes, says teen who karate kicked 74-year-old man into the River Mersey. <laughs> nice. Uh, Missouri man who headed world's largest family with 39 wives and 94 children passes away at the age of 76. Awesome going. <laughs> um... Las Vegas woman crushes three watermelons between her thighs in seven and a half seconds, the world record. That's impressive stuff. Three and seven and a half seconds, Christ. And finally, a woman late for second day of new job after cows invade her garden and blockade her into her home. As far as excuses go, that's a good one. But there we go. That is your news of the week. We're keeping people informed for another week until next time. Anyway, the reason we have you on here, we've had you on primarily to speak West Brom in previous times. And uh, as if that wasn't bad enough for you, you are a Roma fan as well. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, nicely with the change. (laughs) Unfortunately, my second team has getting worse and worse. It was normally a nice relief from watching West Brom, but at the moment it's pretty much a disaster. But yeah, but West Brom are also going down the swan, so yeah, not much got Fonseca set to be appointed as manager um, as early as Wednesday, it's looking like um, on an expected three-year deal, it's going to be a two plus one. Um, so if it go, if it goes horribly wrong, Levy can terminate the deal. So maybe that shows how excited he is for this appointment. Um, before we even get on to this, um, I may not be pronouncing it correctly, but uh, ex-Spain manager, um, Lopez Agui, apparently they were really far down the line with him and he did a Conte and essentially said, you know what, actually you're all right, I'll stay at Sevilla. <laughs> they, they, they'd agreed to pay his 4 million release clause and everything. And then he, he said he'd rather stay home with his family. Spurs wasn't tempting enough for him. I think managers are just putting their foot down now and they don't want to move to a club where they think they're probably going to get a year and a half max and then get sacked. I don't blame him for not leaving at all. <laughs> well, even still, when we've seen uh, Nuno decide not to go to Palace because uh, they wouldn't bring all of his staff in, clearly these managers know another job is going to pop up. But as has happened here, so Fonseca gets sacked from... Roma just before the end of the season if I'm not mistaken gets announced that Jose's coming in first things first what type of football should Spurs fans be expecting it'll be completely different from Jose uh it is quite free-flowing and attacking um he tries to get he likes to play possessive football um against the smaller teams it, it works quite well um Fonseca at Roma adds quite quite good results against teams I'd say from 
are eighth place down. Um, in, in terms of the football, it'll be a lot easier on the eye than what they were dealing with with Jose, for sure. But I think he said, didn't he, that he wanted to appoint an attacking manager that was going to bring back the Spurs traditions and then went for Conte. But is this more in line with what he was promising? <laughs> yeah, footballing-wise, I'd say it's a lot more interesting than Jose Mourinho's football. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, that's the only positive I can see. I've had a lot of Spurs fans message me about Fonseca and the only thing I see from this is they play nice football. Well, is- I saw earlier they say uh, Fonseca ticks all the boxes for Levy, but the one criticism that's been levelled against the coach is the open nature of his teams leads to defensive vulnerabilities. Roma created chances galore, but conceded more goals than anyone else in the top half of the table. Yeah, and I think we, we saw that in the Europa League against uh, United at Old Trafford. I think they were unlucky with injuries, um, losing the first-choice keeper and two players who were quite pivotal to the team before half-time. But then you just managed the game out and Fonseca can't really do that. And then Man United just absolutely ripped Rome to shreds and just killed the tie and finished 6-2, I think it was in the end. Yeah. Yeah, that that was that. If Spurs fans want to see what it's like when they will potentially Fonseca will play big teams next year, then you're going to have to look to that fixture as the, the best. Well, yeah. Really, going back to what Spurs know, then. Yeah, well, I've seen the the praise I have seen is they say kind of when you look at history, um, his Shakhtar team kind of implored it to the way they were playing in Europe. He won Braga their first cup in more than fifty years, and. He's a coach that, as far as I've read, seems to be more enamoured with getting the best out of the players that he has rather than dipping in and spending fortunes in the transfer market. So you can also see why he may appeal to a Spurs board. Yeah, I, I can't imagine him demanding large transfer fees or big-name players or anything like that. I think, yeah, he did do well at Shakhtar, but again, that is the biggest team in that division. I can't imagine if he was unsuccessful or finished second, he wouldn't have lasted. Um, he did do well at Braga, but then you look at when he managed, last managed the big club before that, I think they finished third, um, which is probably the worst you can expect Porto to finish in the league, really. Yeah, I think he was good at Shakhtar. That's why Roma took the punt on him, but he was, yeah, just... Not a disaster, because I think the first season when they finished fifth, they were a bit unfortunate, but this season was just a complete write-off. <laughs> well, I know it's sometimes you never know how much to read into these things, but he's also separating from his assistant manager of the last 15 years, Nuno Campos, um, as if they'd broken up. Uh, Nuno put on his Instagram that the two men were heading off in separate professional paths. Um, so I don't know what happened there, but... <laughs> Do you remember uh, Liverpool had a bad patch after they got rid of uh, their assistant? He went to take a job, and there were people saying, "Well, maybe he was he was the one behind all of Klopp's it's success the, the whole time." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe this will be uh, levied at Fonseca if uh, things don't go to plan early on. Is this a is this a kind of coach? Do you think if he can have a conversation with him, that can convince Kane that look, you want to stick around here, or? You, you don't I think, think so. No, I think when they were really close to Conte, I think he could have... I can't see Kane leaving just because of the contract situation and, and Levy, but I think if anyone was going to convince Kane to stay, it would have been Conte. 
I can't imagine Fonseca would have that conversation with him and him being spotted that he is at all. I guess the, the, the tough question for you is, uh, going from Fonseca to Jose, do you see this as an upgrade or a downgrade for Roma? Because I imagine Spurs fans are going to be asking the same question. I see it as a massive upgrade. Um, I think Jose's reputation in Italy is still pretty yeah. highly thought, thought about, um, just because... His last season was the treble with Inter. Um, I think Roma fans now just want trophies. Um, yeah. Roma are very much like Spurs. They are a big club from the capital city, a huge support, and they've won fuck all, really. Three yeah. uh, goals <laughs> isn't enough for the size of that club. And I think they're really excited about Jose. I think two years of pretty tippy-tappy football, but consistently losing to the top five teams. Um, I think Jose can get the best out of a, a pretty poor squad that they've got at the moment. I think it will be an improvement. I don't think it'll be pretty to watch, obviously, but I am happy with Jose coming in over Fonseca. I wanted Fonseca to leave after his first season, and it just got worse after that. Um, the, the Europa semi-final was a bit of an anomaly uh, because they were very lucky to get through against Ajax, um, and they were quite fortunate all the way through that, and then they were really shown up by United in the end. I but guess that was good of that cup run. A good opportunity to ask you this as well. So, seemingly the first kind of big signing Jose wants to make is Granite Xhaka of Arsenal, a player who I have a lot of experience with, and it looks like you're going to be having a lot of experience with. I think he's. I think he'll do well in Italy. I'm interested if it's one that you're instantly thinking is going to be a horror show, or if perhaps you're looking forward to seeing him in a Roma shirt. I don't know. You, you watch him sometimes and you think he's actually a good player. And then other times you just think, who on earth is paying <laughs> this guy his wages? I don't know. Can Jose turn him into what his potential could be? I hope so. But I'm not very excited about it. I don't think the fees very much are talking about. So yeah, so apparently the gambles. That, there's a page on Twitter that's like a Roma press or something. And they're supposed yeah. to be quite reliable. But then they backtracked because last week they were saying like the deal's done. Um, it's it's going to be done before the Euros even starts. Now they're kind of backtracking saying Roma are prepared to just wait because Jose is apparently on the phone to Xhaka every two days having chats with him saying about, I can't wait for us to link up and all this. So it looks like it's going to be somewhere between about 14 and 20 million euros. So we're probably looking about 17 if Arsenal get what they want. Um, I Will you miss him? I won't, and I'm actually I'm quite excited by the fact that, like like you said, I don't I don't think he's as bad as is sometimes made out. The, the issue is when he is bad, then it's like there's there's no hiding. You see some players where, like Kyle Walker had a bad game yesterday, and we're going to get into that a bit later. But he wasn't like the star of the show because it was that bad. Like when Jacker had a bad game. People know about it that Irene Azerbaijan, let alone in the yeah. Emirates Stadium. So that's kind of the issue there. I think the extra time on the ball, clearly the pro of him, when Wenger signed him, all of the kind of scouting reports you would see was describing him. Remember that little phase where everyone that kind of sat just in front of the defence was described as a quarterback in front of the defence? <laughs> and Jack yeah. essentially had this. Um, and this was supposedly why we went for him instead of Kante, which obviously they aged like milk. Um, Awful. 
but that that extra bit of time in Italy, like you look at his performances internationally. I say that after they just drawn with Wales, but he tends to he tends <laughs> to get the plaudits there because it is that bit slower and he gets that extra time on the ball to kind of distribute. I think I think Jose will love him. Yeah, I um, yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see after the first three months what my opinion is. I'm on the fence at the moment. Because Roma have got these flash new owners, haven't they? Where for a while everything was really quiet, and it was kind of before before Jose came in, and it was like, oh, what's going on? Are we going to sign all these big players? Because they when they signed, the intention was quite clear to pump money in. Was the way I, at least I saw it described was you had these flash new owners in, and that was yeah. a statement in itself. Just getting Jose over the line. Yeah, I think that's the first time they've put a stamp on the club um i think when they originally came on came in sort of halfway between a season that they didn't want to sort of rip everything up uh and they decided to keep fonseca for another year just to keep things stable um so many years rome have just bought in players sold their best players ripped up the squad started again sacked the manager and they just wanted a bit more stability um but i think Jose coming in, hopefully three or four big signings. The squad needs a massive revamp. Um, it was just, I think Fonseca was a bit of a stopgap just to be in charge, play some good football for a couple of years while they try and recover. Selling a number of big name players and bringing in garbage, um, which I know he's often hailed as a transfer, transfer market guru, Monchi, at Sevilla. But his yeah. time at Roma really set the club back five or six years, I think with the sales and purchases that he oversaw. Well, there was the, one of the first things that was mentioned when Jose came in was that Mkhitaryan was there, who he kind of waited for him to leave United and then slagged off completely about yep. uh, what a nightmare it was to work with. But first, one of the first things he did was ask for Mkhitaryan to be given a new deal. So I guess that's water <laughs> under the bridge. And at least, I mean, I'm not watching the Roma games, but I, kind of following the results and the scores and things, he does seem to have been one of the better players, at least towards the end of Fonseca's time there. Yeah, he had a great season. Um, and I think Josie would have been... <laughs> I don't know if he'll play him. I, I don't know if he'll... I, I don't know if it's water under the bridge, but I think the fact that he was going away on a free... He was leaving on a free. Yeah. And Roma's squad at the moment, <laughs> Mkhitaryan's one of their best players. We couldn't really afford to let him go. So, going to Jose's plan, I don't know, but I think it was just more of a a no-brainer, really, keeping him in the squad for another year. Yeah. So, before we let you go, should Spurs fans be excited? Should they be dreading this season or somewhere in the middle? <laughs> I, I think, will they improve on what they finished this year? No, I can't imagine it. Unless, <laughs> Fonseca Paul, yeah, I, I can't see them improving at all. Uh, if Kane leaves, then obviously that is the end of the season anyway. But I, I can't see Fonseca ripping up trees at Spurs and getting them a Champions League sp- place for sure. Uh, I think their squad is better than Roma's, um, but it's 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 not better than any of the top five or six teams. Last thing, actually. So, um, when the rumours came around that Spurs were being linked with Paratici, yeah, I said on here that I was dreading it because all I really knew of him was football manager and he was like the highest ranked director of football on the game. Like if you could get him, it, it, it was a godsend. And then when I was doing some reading, 
kind of people within Italian football were saying, like, I don't understand what people are seeing in this guy. You look at the way Juve's squad has been built over the past couple of years, and it's been horrific when you look at the money spent on failed players and some of the big wages given to uh, free agents and things like that. Do you think this is as big of a deal for Spurs as it looked on paper, or do you think he's not quite the guru, as you said, with uh, Monchi there, that perhaps the tabloids will have you believe? Yeah, you touched on it. The Juve squad have gone from consistently getting there or thereabouts a couple of Champions League finals, and now their team is a 36-year-old Ronaldo with a really, really weak midfield. Um, Yeah. And they're playing, they're paying ridiculous wages for Aaron Ramsey, who's doesn't always start. Um, yeah. he, he hasn't been amazing since joining, very but it's just been some, very rarely fit. Their midfield at the time when they had Perlo and Pogba, uh, and Marquisio and yeah. um, Matuidi was probably the peak. And now you look at it and it's 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 pretty grim reading, really. They've got a really aging defense. Attacking-wise, they've got a lot of talent, but the midfield is atrocious. Kies is probably the best one they've brought in, and he was the one that went under the radar the most. Yeah, for sure. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what Spurs can expect this year. I, I, it's not going to be good. I'm sure you've seen the things about uh, Fonseca bringing on six subs in a Coppa Italia match and having <laughs> the game forfeited. Yeah. <laughs> and also playing, started off this season with Diawara playing and they forgot to register him um, because they still thought he was a one and he was like 23. So that game lost 3-0 <laughs> as well. That's less Fonseca's fault, but bringing on six subs when you can only bring on five and losing a match is pretty much sums up Roma's last last campaign. <laughs> and the, the buck is going to fall at uh, Paratici's feet because they've made pretty clear He's playing a big part in the selection of a new manager. So it's just the fact that they've gone from Conte. I think if Conte wasn't ever linked and Fonseca was coming in, there'd be a bit more. It wouldn't be. It's not the end of the world, but it's not great. But the fact that was going to bring in someone who would probably could have guaranteed them some silverware to Fonseca, yeah. who hasn't been relevant in two years, then <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a step down. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for joining us today, as always. Always welcome if you fancy jumping on, and uh, we'll leave you to deal with Sean now, so uh, enjoy. Well, I'm sure I'll be talking about West Brom at some point. Uh, As of today, uh, the Lincoln manager, Michael Appleton, turned us down, so we are as a club (laughs) at the moment, so I'll be happy to talk about that in a few weeks when I've cheered up, maybe. (laughs) Look forward to it. All right, no worries. Cheers. All right. He was going a bit like a crazy frog at some points there, but I thought we'll just let him go. We'll let him cook. Unless it was just me. I thought, no, I didn't know if me. I was hearing it. No. <laughs> um, I, I thought it kind of came in and out, so let him cook in there. The way things have gone for us today, beggars can't be choosers in terms of who we have on the pod, so if it's someone coming on with a bit of croak, that's <laughs> what we got to deal with. Anyway, not a massive pod today. Um Let's just go through kind of the other headlines of the Euros this weekend. Obviously, some some fairly big ones to get into. Um, I guess the most obvious place to start is the biggest story of the weekend, and that was Christian Eriksen. So collapsed shortly before half time 
in Denmark's opening 2020 Euro 2020 game against Finland. So you were watching the game live as well, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, correct. It's hard to explain, isn't it? I was trying to speak at work today. The point at which you realised it was serious, because it's never good when someone goes down like that. No, some, no. I was kind of looking down. I heard the commentator, it was Keon, wasn't it, say, oh, who's that that's, that's gone down there? And then the camera just zoomed in on his kind of lifeless face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the deck with his eyes still open, which is always creepy. And then just very quickly, it just seemed to get worse and worse and worse. I'm interested to know how long that coverage was on for, because it felt like an age for what was going on. Yeah, ages, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, mean, it must have been a good 10, 15 minutes, wasn't it? Yeah, it probably felt longer than that. Yeah, it certainly felt it. Because I think they kind of they, they were panning around, kind of getting every shot that they could. Um, you saw the Denmark players were kind of surrounding him, and the cameraman was filming between legs, kind of through arms, whatever he could do. And then they, they must have just panned back at one stage, in closer at least, because almost at once, everyone in kind of the group chats room was like, "Are they doing CPR?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you see that, it's like. Christ, like, uh, I see if we can say now, and I assume many others were the same, there was at least a point where I think everyone just assumed he was dead. Like, we, that was what we were seeing on the pitch. I think as soon as you see the CPR, you're thinking that, aren't you? Because we've seen some things on, on the pitch, but rarely that. And I guess in films, and that's a good basis to go off, just because not many of us, I assume, are seeing that in, in real life. It's usually... Within 30 seconds or so, even when they're trying to make it dramatic in a film, the person's coming to, and they're then kind of celebrations all round or whatever. Mm. Yeah. This, nothing was happening, and the looks gradually as they were panning on the players' faces were looking more and more concerned. You saw the tears start coming out, which, understandable for during the situation. And everyone kind of collectively at once did assume, like, Jesus, we've just seen something pretty horrific here. Yeah, the, the only time I thought I hopefully could be slightly better was when the manager went over and then came back. Yeah. I figured if he probably would have stayed there with the players if, you know, if, if he had, if the worst had happened there and then. Yeah. Uh, well, the. The Danish team doctor did has confirmed since that it was a cardiac arrest he suffered. He's quoted as saying, he was gone. We did cardiac resuscitation. It was a cardiac arrest. How close were we to losing him? I don't know, but we got him back after one defib. So that's quite fast. The examinations that have been done so far look fine. We don't have an explanation as to why it happened. That's kind of even more scary, Which is, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's more worrying. Um, the main talking point of this whole thing has been the coverage. Mm. Um, what did you think about it? Because I've seen some saying, like, look, it's happening. We all know what's going on. We'd rather see what's going on with, with our own two eyes kind of thing rather than kind of be left wondering. And on the other hand, saying we, we don't need to see this. Like, let, let them have some space and kind of get on with things. 
Yeah, I mean, I think parts of the coverage were, were a disgrace, as people pointed out. I thought there was... I would partly defend them in the start of it, where this is quite a unique case, where it's not like, say, the Mwamba one, where he kind of went down off camera, if you like, as in the ball wasn't around him. Whereas I actually where don't Ericsson, remember that at all, like, yeah, the coverage whereas, of it. Whereas where, where Ericsson was, he was obviously in line with the ball or whatever, so you, you see him go down. And I did feel like zoom of that was kind of seeing a player go down so as much as it doesn't look good i can see how that would happen it's in the you know the five or ten minutes after this where you know for a while what's going on and then we're seeing the you know the fam you know his his wife or girlfriend or whatever she is you didn't really need to see that and some of the other things i felt it was pretty easy to take out out of the hands i know you know there's a lot of responsibility being passed around in terms of bbc don't control the feed but then they can just switch it off, which I, I thought yeah. was probably the most obvious thing. They have, as people willingly point out on Twitter, you can, they pan away straight away if there's a streaker on the pitch. So it yeah. would have been too hard to do and cut to the studio. And, and as I said at the time, I don't think, I think let go of the Nick and say, yeah, this, this, we're going to be paused for whatever and then just go. Because again, I even sort of asking for the pundits breakdown of it. Well, they weren't expecting yeah. to be talking about someone's cardiac arrest on the job with this. I, I don't know. I, and if it has much to be gained from any of it. Yeah, the the point as to which, because I'd say I've got quite a s- strong stomach in terms of what you do see. In, and I'm not saying that as like a, a gloating kind of way. I'm, I'm just like, there's things where usually I've seen before where people say like, we didn't need to see that. And but it, I can understand why kind of a curious mind you're interested in seeing what's going on. But for this, when they showed kind of him getting the compressions the first time, I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing. Like I hadn't quite kind of computed how to react to it. And then it very quickly turned to like disgust when they zoomed in on his wife crying yeah. on the touchline. That was the point for yeah. me because it was like, okay, you've got at least the defense when it's previously like, we want to see what's going on. People want to see kind of, if the player's all right, kind of what's happening. But that, that's like a conscious decision when you switch, when you flip the camera, you clearly spot who that is. And it's like when you see in, in films again where you've got a photographer who's always, all, almost always going to be uh, portrayed as the bad guy, as you'd expect this, like, this is my chance to get the, the big shot here. Yeah, yeah. It's like someone's realised who that is and quick get the camera over there because yeah the the only thing i will say that the flip side to this i did i did say to people at the time as well that everybody was quick to say how much of a disgrace how disgusting this was carried on watching and, yeah, and that's the thing point, I, yeah. is, is ultimately nobody turned the tv off and, and that's if the bbc have the opportunity to cut it you've got the same opportunity to cut it and for whatever yeah. reason you didn't and I'm, no i, I, I couldn't stop watching Exactly. So, to a large extent, I did think of some of these messages about uh, it being disgraceful and disgusting. I did think maybe turn the gun back on yourself a little bit and uh, why am I watching? And yeah, maybe that was built within that. Without getting too deep for this podcast, there is a strange human psyche that we do carry on watching these things. Yeah, and yeah. Much, and if you had been the ultimate cynic, you would say the job of the TV thing is to kind of you uh, feed that hunger, if you like, which is awful, but is. Again, people carried on watching, which they had the, they had the opportunity to stop if they didn't want it. Yeah. So, with what you said about the studio, kind of 
I expected when they did go back that, as you said, it was going to be Gary Lineker say, let's do what we expect to see. You don't want to see that on the pitch. They kind of wheeled out a couple of cliches, like this is where you realise that everything's bigger than football. Yeah. But then when they kind of opened it up like a panel and he was like, Sesk, what can you say? And then he passed it around to Alex Scott, who quite clearly before they even went to her, looked like she was dealing with it yeah. worse than everyone yeah. else. Like she was already looking like she had watery eyes before that. Mm. It was just a, a strange circumstance, and I don't think anyone there will be particularly pleased with how they handled it. And I imagine there are going to be fingers pointed now. I'm sure we'll probably get the name of the, pe- the person that filmed it. That's how these things tend to work. Mm, sort of um, yeah. The, the thing, I, I guess, again, and, and for the BBC's coverage, I guess these things are pretty unprecedented. They don't happen too often, so there is no. an element of not knowing what to do. The same as us watching at home didn't quite know what to do. But, uh, well, but yeah, saw, I guess it's probably more incumbent on them to get it right, isn't it? We saw, like, the, the Eric Dyer thing that we always go back to where when he ran in the stands and very quickly there was a narrative that, look, there was someone, like, being... Was it... There was someone being racist in the stands and he, he ran into the thing to defend it was what I think was said at the time. That was the first Someone had been racist to son or something. Um, and very quickly this time, there's a portion of Twitter that said, well, you know what? They did say he had the vaccine, actually, about oh, a week no. ago, and that's probably what it was. Jesus. So much that the Danish FA actually had to come out today and confirm, like, he actually hasn't had the vaccine. He, he, <laughs> he, he's, he's not had it yet, so there's no link between these two things. Because that narrative went from zero to 100 very quickly. That's crazy. Um, so we had the shock of that. Then there was the Getty Images picture that broke, wasn't there, of him with his eyes open, kind of holding the oxygen mask yeah. Um, yeah. over his face at the time. Um, we get that. And very quickly, one of the things I thought was people took being conscious to being like your sound. Like pe- People were saying, Oh, I've seen he's actually all right now. So um, just took that as that's what stable means when quite clearly these things can take a considerable turn for the worse even after the person's been resuscitated. We did get the news quite shortly after that the Danish FA and UEFA said that he was okay. Because that, that tweet that was going around, like, and I saw it in several of our group chats saying, well, apparently B in sports have confirmed that he's okay. That that journalist that was in the tweet was a made-up name. Like Someone just sent the tweet round, just kind of guessing ahead of time. That's crazy, isn't it? There were some tweets. I saw one that had said he died. And it's like, who are these people that just try and get like a scoop? Probably so they can say, look, well, I had the news ahead of time. To be the first. Yeah, that's insane. Things people do. And then after that kind of controversy I don't know that's probably not the right word but you know what I mean after that had kind of been put to the side they'd gone off air it was strange how quickly the situation was kind of put on the back burner it was essentially he's he's stable now and then it kind of just went and it it would kind of came and went like something I've never seen before and then about 20 minutes later we get confirmation well by the way the game's going to be restarted in 30 minutes crazy i i you know when when you saw him on the floor whatever you thought was going to happen you didn't think they'd be playing a game later that evening did you 
No, because the statement actually said they would confirm what's happening with the match before they confirmed that he was okay. If you, have, if you have a look back, you wait for the statement. They said there was going to be a meeting at 7.45 and then they shared just after uh, the game was going to be re- uh, resumed at 8.30 local time, which was 7.30 our time. Um, I keep thinking I've got a sneeze, sorry. Um, sure. that, that statement said that it was the choice of the players they'd chosen now that there was some saying that like Ericsson had asked them to go and finish the game. There was some saying that now they know he's okay, they want to go and play the game for him. And again, we, we've since come to find out that it wasn't quite that simple. Um, I've got a quote from uh, Peter Schmeichel, who was on ITV News this morning. And he said, uh, uh, that's an interesting debate when he was asked as to whether it was a player's choice. He said, I actually saw an official quote from UEFA yesterday saying they were following the advice of the player. The players insisted on playing, and I know that not to be the truth. Or it's how you see the truth. They were left with three options. One was to play immediately and get the last 50 minutes played. The next one was to come in yesterday, which was Sunday, at 12 noon and finish to 50 minutes. And the third option was to forfeit the game 3-0. So work it out for yourself. Is it the players wish to play? Did they have a choice, really? I don't think they had. And as you can hear from yesterday's press conference, the coach seriously regrets putting the players back onto the pitch. Hmm. That fits what we assumed a bit more than what we were told, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I don't know if I was, didn't know if I was being overly cynical in suggesting that I thought they were probably told get this game played or or forfeit. Um, you'd like to think that you know an organisation wouldn't have themselves in that way, but at the same time, it's totally fitting with what we've come to expect, isn't it? So yeah, um, that whole situation. It was weird when they came back onto the pitch. First of all, the, the commentators. Uh, they were in a tricky situation, but every time they the Denmark player did something wrong, they kind of criticised and then said, understandably so, because they didn't want to be accused yeah. at all of being insensitive. Um, Finland did what they had to do. They carried on playing, uh, eventually got on to win the game. The ref gave what in normal terms we would have referred to as evening things out, although I'm not sure you can even out a cardiac arrest on the pitch. He did. He no. tried to do that. It just so happened that the penalty was given to Oibier, uh, who <laughs> struck the penalty like he wasn't even trying to score it. No, he struck it like a tackle, didn't he? It's kind of just... Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was I mean, there. soft penalty is putting it mildly, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, probably some justice, the fact that you missed it in that sense. Just that it was never a pen. Ah, tell you what the... The Finland players didn't uh, didn't hold back in the celebration either. Like, no, I, no, I, did, I did wonder whether in those shoes maybe I'd probably rein it in a bit, but they uh, they enjoyed it. Yeah, because hard to know what next... to do. I know, but I, <laughs> uh, I might have been. For the next day, so we did you... see the players you'd expect giving the kind of uh, tributes. Like Eric uh, Lukaku, I think said that that was mm. for you. Um, uh, there was a, I think in the Austria game they held up a T-shirt. Son, of course, didn't he never want to miss out dedicating a celebration to someone down the camera, so <laughs> he was quick on the money this time as well. Um, it's just something I, I hope and I imagine we're, we're never going to see again, mm. but it, it was just so strange. Like, I can't put into words that feeling of what we were seeing at the time. 
because I don't really know how what the feeling was. No, no, and it's funny you say about the games during this whole thing. I remember thinking, whatever happens with this guy the games today are off maybe tomorrow and, and is this tournament going to be off at that yeah. point that's how big this felt is that this obviously obviously transcended the, the sport uh, so to as you said then to, for it to have been almost moved on from yeah. the same evening was very odd it was a, a strange mix of things that have happened well essentially every every presser um, they just almost have to kind of like the terms and conditions quickly get out of the way like by the way, I just want to express my uh, thoughts with the Ericsson family. I just want to make sure that they know that we're, we're with them. You don't want to be the one just, who doesn't And then do they it. carry on. No, then they carry on as always. But you don't want to speculate, but it, it's hard to imagine he comes back from that unless they can work out what it is. Because with what you said there about kind of not knowing, and I can be honest now, in the situation that it's passed, I was thinking that we did Space Jam in the week on uh, the movie pod, and I'm, I'm not saying he was Space Jammed, if that's the way you think I'm going. No, I don't, I'm, there, I'm curious. There's a point where um, the couple of players have been hit with this, where their talents have gone, and they're about to get changed for the next game, and the players say, whoa, we, we don't know what's going on out there. I'm not playing the game now. And I was kind of thinking of that because we didn't know what it was. They were very quickly, people were saying it must be because it's too hot and they've been overworked. This must be what's going on. There were people saying, just cancel the tournament now. We don't need to be playing this. The player's health is what is, is the number one. And all these things go around. It was only that was just in my head because I'd watched it like two days prior. And them saying, Look, we don't know what's happening here. We, we're not going out there and playing. Yeah. They would have had every right, obviously, to question about their safety. Uh, it's it's tricky, and I think it it is a freak occurrence, and it's awful, tragic. But I, d- I don't think the idea that these guys who are super fit going out and doing what is fundamentally an exercise I do struggle to believe is going to be really bad for them. Yeah, I said. I mean, Ericsson's had, I think, what thirty games this year. It's not like he's had a freakishly big year. No. So I mean, just. This whole kind of overworked thing is, uh, uh, I don't think they should use what is a tragic situation to sort of fuel that argument. Yeah, I said to someone else, I said the fact that we all know Muamba by name. Yeah, yeah, that's that how rare it is. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what they do get to the bottom of it. I guess one of the big takeaways is the fact that these players are, are under more stringent medical testing than probably people that are on a hospital ward. And yet, still, these things can go under the radar. Yeah, yeah. How, how, you know, if he does have an underlying condition, how he could have got by is, is kind of crazy, isn't it? But it's, yeah, unfortunately, these, see, these things do happen. Denmark play next time because it could go one, it could go either way, couldn't it? Where they kind of play for Ericsson, as I imagine will be what's said, or if they kind of they feel wronged by your way for now and. They kind and, of have given up on themselves. Yeah, and you know, even if you do win, does it does it really mean a lot to you when your teammates are hospital? Whatever, I, yeah. I do wonder how how important a football game probably feels yeah. when you're doing it. I, I will admit. I don't know if this is the wrong thing to say. They weren't playing well before the fact, so after no. that's not going to make it much better. No, and I did think that whole thing of the again, I'm, I'm being very cynical here. I know, but the whole thing of they made us play the game. 
did sort of belie. I, I do wonder if they'd have been so furious about it had they won. For sure. But it'd been all for UEFA made us come out. I think there would have been a lot more. We came out and did it for Christian. And the yeah. story about what yeah. UEFA did would have been put on the back burner. Whereas obviously you, you lose far more of a focus on it. Um, something that was far more positive um, for us, certainly. Um, yesterday, we got together. We saw England kind of squeeze past Croatia for their first ever win in the opening match of a European Championship at the 10th attempt, drawn five and lost four previously. Um, if we go back to before kickoff, probably fair to say we weren't thrilled with the trickier and sterling selections to name but two. No, I don't think, I don't think many people would have chosen that team, would they? No, and uh, now after the fact, those people said, Oh, and you wouldn't have picked Sterling. So, it's still probably not changing my thoughts on the selection for the next game. But <laughs> it works in uh, Southgate's favour for sure. Before we even get into the game, did, did you see that uh, interviewer interviewing Sterling after the game? I was squirming watching that. Oh, no. Why? What did he do? She said, uh, Oh, she. Obviously, you got the winner today. Do you think that justified your selection? And he looks about as shocked. He, he goes, is he justified? And he kind of <laughs> just kind of screws his face up like, I mean, I don't really play for, for that. Just, is she, uh, I know she what I can do. Uh, no, no, she wasn't. Oh, right. Sometimes in the, the translation doesn't quite work, does it? And they can sound really blunt, where it's obviously not meant to be. Okay. No, yeah, the headphones do as well. It's a bit delayed. And you see his face kind of as the question clearly comes through. Right, right. What do you mean? (laughs) But the game starts. um, I think we said beforehand we had maybe a a quiet but tempered level of confidence in that Mm. we know the players that we have at our disposal, but we're also aware of the side Croatia are and how maybe wily they are with some of those older players that they have. Nearly got off to a dream start with uh, Foden hitting the post. Yeah, that, that first 10 minutes, we were we started on fire as well, didn't we? We were all over them. Yeah. And, uh, it didn't quite stay that way, and the game slowed down, so I guess the tempo that Croatia would have liked it to be. I thought that was probably one of the more pleasing aspects of the game, that we had that quick start, didn't really capitalise on it in terms of obviously scoring. And then as Croatia were growing into it, well, they were getting on the ball more and more. And if you look at obviously that semi-final, that's pretty well what happened was that they ended up getting on the ball more, dictating. And that's why we were so knackered come the end. And I thought it looked a little, it looked a little bit like history could be repeating itself with the, you know, boy in the heat as well. You thought we've started yeah. running around like lunatics to begin this game. Are we just going to gas out again? But we, the fact that we seized back control of it again was probably one of the more pleasing aspects. Because in after the fact now, there's people saying, well, you look at Modric, is 35, you look at this, that. That's as good of a midfield as you're going to face in a European Championship, particularly at this stage. And, yeah, and, and even to the age, their ability to dictate play, control possession, hold the ball is still there. So the fact yeah. that we were able to and that's typically been our weakness, playing a team that can do that. So the fact that we were able to overcome it is pleasing. I do think the age played a part a little bit in terms of uh, as the game wore on, athletically they didn't look up to it. And if, but I thought the main thing for them was that they didn't have huge threat going forward. And no. that did did mean 
having stones and mings at the back, which would normally, as we said before the game, yeah. terrify you, meant they didn't have too many issues. Well, we said last week that one of the main criticisms of Southgate was perhaps tactically um, mm. that he was able to set up okay, but kind of the tweaks in the game and kind of the more finer details that uh, he was able to put together when we faced the better teams didn't quite come off. And when you kind of look back at the game yesterday, particularly if you look at the highlights of anything that Croatia did, it looks like essentially Mason Mount was told to just sit on Modric, basically. Like any time Croatia were in possession, he was just touched tight to him. And then if he got past him, then you had uh, one of the other midfielders that were pretty on board. I guess they were looking to see what Mount's positioning was like in there was probably an assigned backup that they kind of shared between them. But it was no secret beforehand that he's the man that was going to make them tick. And maybe the last, I think they had, a, they had an attempt in stoppage time and they had an attempt just before half time. Other than that, in hindsight, I don't really remember being too threatened. Like everything kind of no. feels exemplified in the moment, but there was nothing at the time like that you can pinpoint as in like, they had the post here, or there was a last-ditch tackle there. Like we, we controlled the game pretty well. No, it's, it's kind of the reverse, actually, as well. When you, you look back and you think, oh, actually, we had a few more chances than I thought. So I was, I was looking at it thinking, well, Sterling doesn't put that one in, which he, he did his best not to. Yeah. <laughs> On another day, he, he maybe would miss it, but he did score. Had he not, we could have been a bit deflated. We thought, well, we played all right, but we didn't win, and did we create a lot? But when you look at it, you know, we had the Foden chance, obviously the goal, uh, the free kick we could have done better with. Obviously Trippier hits yeah. hits the man. Kane murdered himself on a post. We did have we did have chances, so there's plenty of reason for only, optimism. Only his third goal in his last 20 for Sterling, dating back to February 2020. That's crazy. He's uh, He did look sharp though, which was good, because again, I was definitely well, doubting his inclusion. They tried the same thing several times, didn't they? Where essentially uh, Kane pulls out wide to pull the defender and then Sterling runs into the space. And they tried it twice in the first half. It didn't come off. And then they try it a third time to start the second half. And that's where we get the goal. So clearly there's some more being worked out here. Maybe as he's got to know some of the players a bit better, maybe that's why he's trusting guys like Sterling because he knows kind of the intricacies that he can put together there. But that was clearly something that had been worked on and did pay off. We'll learn a lot more, won't we, when we come to face Scotland, particularly after looking at the way they played today. Yeah, I don't know how much we'll learn just in terms of it's kind of, I, I, I'm kind of cautious about going down a real cliched route, but it's kind of like a derby game, isn't it, where they're going to be up for it, they're going to be putting it about and we're just going to have to sort of deal with it as we can. But if we... More in the way that we kind of set up and the tempo we play with, because it suited us to play that way against Croatia, and it's whether that's kind of the standard that we're expecting, or Mm. if he looks at a Scotland side and says it's going to benefit us more to get at them, or anything like that. uh, Yeah, I I just mean, the problem is I could see us scraping past them, or I could see us battering them, and, and either way, I, I don't know that I would read a huge amount into either one. Uh, in my on, on the basis... league, I've gone three-two England. You say you've gone three-two. Yeah. 
and as much as their their result looks hideous today, and, and they didn't play particularly well, I thought they had some really good chances that yeah. they should have taken, and the Czech um, the Czech goals were unbelievable. So and I, they I do decided that, not to have their best striker on for forty five minutes. That result belies it a little bit, and yeah, yeah, I thought that was a mistake. The last things on, on, on the England game. Uh, Harry Kane struggled to get into the game other than the miss that he had, um, almost dropping a bit too deep. And then the fullbacks, Kyle Walker and Kieran Trippier. Do you think they did little enough where he'll feel he changes it for the next game? Or do you think Walker and Trippier essentially are two guys you trust and so he's going to shoehorn them in? if Trippier is at left back. I instinctively think he'll keep the same team just because he'll, he'll go with don't change a winning team. Um, Trippier did a good job. Walker in that first half was a horror show, isn't he? I don't know if he actually kept the ball. Um, picked up a little bit in the second half. Whether that will keep him in the team, I, I don't know. I, I would think on the basis of that, sit Trippier over right back and put Shaw yeah. at left back. I particularly haven't watched Scotland today is the lad they had at right back. Was it Liam Cooper? Was it? Yeah. He had an absolute horror show. So I feel like having Shaw going down the outside, overlapping so much Sterling would uh, would give him kittens. I would imagine. So whereas having a right footer there, it becomes harder to do that. So well, I would look at that. Time, but I think he might keep the same. Every time Trippier broke, there was a point where he had to stop and then check onto his exactly right exactly. foot, which slowed it down. Which you know works when you've got a winger there because you can a winger doing it. Sorry, because the fullback can overlap, but two right footers on there is is a problem. Yeah, it's, it's, it'll be interesting for sure. I mean, he clearly doesn't fancy Chilwell by the fact that he didn't even make the squad. Uh, tricky that, isn't it? Because then you know, Sancho didn't make the squad either. If well, he, if, he, if we end up drawing nil nil, that looks horrible. Well, you think so? Tierney didn't make the Scotland squad today. They came out pretty early on. I know kind of the array of talent is different, but Steve Clark came straight out and said, look, he's had a niggle in training, so we couldn't play him today. Yeah, I didn't see any of that unless I've missed it in terms of Southgate saying about Chilwell and Sancho. No, no, I can't say I've seen anything like that. wouldn't put it past United trying to get his... Uh, feed on a bit now saying look at this but this like can't even make it in the England squad if you want 100 million for it um, Jude Bellingham became the youngest player ever to play at a Euros with an 8 minute cameo at the end how big of a part do you think he'll have to play moving on do you think that was a sign of how much Southgate trusts him do you think it was a conscious thing of just wanting to get him on the pitch or what did you make of that I thought that was a good sub as well. I thought that was well-timed. I thought he did, he did well when he came on. Uh, he could be, couldn't he? He could be sort of, uh, again, don't want to go down the cliche of the wild card. He's not a wild card. He's playing for Dortmund pretty regularly. His problem, obviously, will be that Phillips was great in there and Rice he is was, yeah. there. He was good. They, they were both really good. So I don't see that he's going to displace either of them. No. What? But what coming off the bench, I do think he, he's a nice he's a nice player. Yeah, it's it's nice when you have a player like that because one of the things, and I can relate it to Arsenal mainly just because that's the team that I watch the most, but there was a point with Arsenal this season where 
if Arsenal were tight in a game or if they were trying to keep hold of whatever result it was, they would bring on El Nenny towards the end. And it was quite clear what you were getting with that. And it wasn't any real effort to control the game. It was an effort to just survive in the game. Mm. Whereas Bellingham, when you bring him on towards the end of the game, you can instill a level of control in there as well, can't you? Because of how he is on the ball. It's not like you're bringing someone on who's literally just on there to run around. It's someone who can actually help in keeping the ball because that's a far easier way to hold out the game as if the opposition doesn't yeah. have the ball. Yeah. And, and that's some compliment to play, to play a player who's 17. The idea that yes. he's got the, the composure and the maturity to look after the ball. We, we've had senior pros who haven't been able to do that for the England national team. So yes. Yeah. A kind of a clear sign of just how good he is. Yeah, it's, it's interesting for sure. Do you think Kane will settle in? Do you think it was just an issue with playing Croatia yesterday? Because a lot of teams are going to have a deep line like that where he's going to have mm. to drop in. But there's an amount where you drop in. There should almost be like a cut-off line, shouldn't there? Like Kane shouldn't be in the left of the halfway line. Like That shouldn't be happening. No, I've always felt with him sometimes people overanalyze it in terms of he's got to have that freedom to drop sometimes because he is very good at it. Whilst yeah. also, obviously, he's he's a striker, he's a goal scorer, so he needs to be up there. And I think normally he does get the balance right. I thought on this one, he was dropping deep too often, maybe because some of the other lads were looking good and he, he'd had a couple of loose touches, so maybe he was going searching for it a little bit. Uh, I, I've said before that I do think it's the reason you need runs around him, you need legs around him. Yeah. People can go beyond, as Sterling showed, because he's going to do this a certain amount. And so you need people in the space he vacates, which I have seen some saying, oh, well, he didn't actually play that bad because he's pulling players out of position, which I do think is being a Kane apologist a little bit, but is there is some truth to it as well. There is, his movement obviously is smart. So yeah. we need players around who are going to capitalise on that. But I, you would all, I think, particularly against Scotland, you'd want to say, look, don't drop in too much here. Just stay up there and, and you'll get goals. It looked like when you play a winger through the middle um, with the way, because it, it wasn't, for the most part yesterday, and some may correct me, it, it wasn't so much the intelligent deep, de- how he was dropping deep yesterday as it is previously. Um, again, the, the comparison was Arsene Wenger clearly thought, well, Alexis Sanchez is scoring 20 goals from the wing. Giroud's not scoring. Why don't we play Alexis Sanchez through the middle yeah. and he's going to score even more goals? And he was used to touching the ball that much that you had no focal point because he was dropping here, there, and everywhere. Going and searching for it, yeah. And Kane usually isn't like that. I'm not saying that's a usual thing with him. Just yesterday, it did look like it wasn't as intelligent in the way that he was moving when he was coming deeper, as he usually does for Spurs, for example. No, and some of them, for example, sometimes you'd have the you know the winger or the fullback would have the ball at the edge of the box, and he'd be sort of coming to them, coming to yeah. him. Like you just get in the box, saying you're our best header of the ball, so. Don't be going to try to hold Trippier's hand or whatever. Get, just get in there. Yeah. We need a penalty or something just to get him a goal because that's what happened last time and then he didn't look back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, other games that, that we had to go through. So Italy started the tournament off in style. Uh, picked them as my winners last week. Mm. Um, 0-0 first half for against the consensus dark horses of the tournament. <laughs> I know Shearer jumped on board that, uh, that wagon. Three second half goals then um, to turn it around and, and get quite a comprehensive victory. That's 28 games unbeaten now for Mancini. Um, 
they came close in the first half, mainly from set pieces, and then Demorel kind of fell into the ball to turn it into his own net, <laughs> and then Italy looked pretty comfortable from there. Immobile scored just after, scrambled it in, and then uh, Insigne scored a nice curled finish as if he was playing FIFA to really uh, put a ribbon on it. I thought they the FIFA did pass it to him. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it certainly did themselves absolutely no favours, did they? The concerning thing for them would be that, as, as Genius told us 69 times during the game, <laughs> how tired they looked. But that is a concern in the first game of the season, that they did look knackered. They they won't yeah. be chasing the ball as much as they probably were against Italy. But no. that is still a concern. But the way Italy controlled the game, though, and they looked sharp, that was nice movement, I thought. is a concern if you're worried about if you're going to face them in the later rounds. Yeah. You'd be worried. Do you think? Do you know this is the first ever time Italy have scored three goals in a European uh, Championship game? I saw. I saw that's like doing the rounds. Yeah, yeah thirty-nine uh, attempts. Yeah. Um, I thought in an Italy shirt, the, the poorest player on the pitch was Berardi. Um, I think if you're Mancini, you're looking at other guys that can fill that role. If you're looking at a Chiesa, perhaps or something like that, unless he's seeing something that we're not in, perhaps his movement or something. Um, my man Locatelli, I thought he, he failed to make an impact, really. He, he wasn't stinking the place out, but in terms of getting on the ball and dictating play, he wasn't really doing that so much as he was more of just a body in the midfield. Yeah, but then I, I did think in that second half, that midfield really got on top, didn't it? Um, Jorginho looks obviously a million dollars because if you stand off him, you yeah, that will happen. And Turkey's press just really fell apart in that second half and so I, I would I would push back a little bit I'd say that whole Italian midfield I thought was fairly impressive I didn't yeah. like, like you said didn't didn't do anything sort of you write home about but I did still think I said he was going to triple whole, his value <laughs> yeah yeah he's not going to be doing that on that basis but certainly uh, they were all good yeah the other games we had we, we started off a, a big Saturday with Wales and Switzerland stinking the place out with a ball draw um when I said about poor players, Bale and Seferovic played as bad as, as any players this weekend. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually thought it was an all right game. And then I thought, I was watching it thinking one of these teams is going to make a winner. Obviously, Swiss, um, obviously the Swiss had that one. Yeah. Um, disallowed, didn't they? Yeah. And uh, I thought Bolo looked really good in parts. He did. He like he, he After like I wrote him off, before. said he was supposed to be a wonder kid last week. Yeah, I, I think you probably saw bits of both of that. You saw what he can do and elements of why he's kind of fallen short so far. When I said kind of the ball draw, I, I, I will say I'd much rather a game like that. I had far more interest in that game than I did with uh, the Belgium-Russia game where it was quite clear early on there was yeah. only going to be one winner. Yeah, agreed. Um can't go in on to that. So Belgium essentially bullied Russia, didn't they? Like hard to gauge how good or bad Russia were by the fact that Lukaku essentially just took it on his own on his own accord to make sure that Russia weren't getting anything that 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 day. He wasn't going to let them have a sniff of three points. He was on a mission, wasn't he? Um, I thought Belgium would give value for it, but. I- I do think that's a bad Russia team. They they look miles off it. 
I don't know if it was on the commentary or if it was something I read where they were essentially saying Russia had their time in in the 2018 yeah, and we're essentially like yeah saying, that, that's that's us done now <laughs> no need to worry about it lads yeah they didn't look overly invested in terms of the press or whatever whether it's physical or mental they didn't seem really that even interested in impressive I know once you get a couple of goals behind it yeah. kind of becomes hard to but they didn't really show for it I didn't think Zhirkov had uh, Lukaku running that in for 20 minutes and thought I don't need this at my age Zhirkov looked like a man who was nearly 40 yeah. It, yeah it was like I don't know if you ever played the career mode on NBA 2K but usually if, you, if you're doing it you're going to pick yourself to be a point guard or a shooting guard or something like that and the downside is it comes up with your matchup basically and if that if the player you're supposed to be guarding scores a point, then your grade goes down. And so you can imagine in these positions, you've got someone like Steph Curry, who you're supposed to be <laughs> protecting in the game, and you've just got them draining your uh, bar the whole way. Sherkov's bar was drained pretty swiftly by Lukaku. <laughs> that was the last match if he needed. They should have saved him. They didn't need to put, be putting him out there. No, Lukaku. no. Um, other games you had Austria got past North Macedonia, eventually um, watched up to 1-1 with you, and then in between me getting a lift home, it was 3-1. So mm. uh, I missed the turnaround there, but I have seen the goals. It looked like essentially they just decided, look, no more of this. This is Macedonia. We're playing. Get a grip. Yeah, far from convinced by Austria. I think against a better team than North Macedonia, they would have been in trouble. But... Uh, They've got little bits of quality, haven't they? That, that ball yeah. from Sabitza was nice. It was a nice finish as well, actually. And the, the, the Arnautovic goal was really good. Yeah. He, he did, you know, we, we know what he can do when he wants to. Let's talk of him coming back to West Ham this summer. I'm so, sure Moyes needs that work. Yeah, yeah, I wonder. He's obviously a good player. But yeah. I was a feeling of good riddance when he went, so... Yeah. Um... After that, then, kind of the uh, showpiece we had, Netherlands against Ukraine, game of the tournament so far. Mm. We we learned a lot, and we also, a lot still is unanswered. Um, Frank de Boer still looks fraudulent. Um, <laughs> Ukraine gifted them two goals. I mean, uh, the, the second-hand anger I had for a game I had no stake in, uh, their keeper giving away two goals as needlessly as you could possibly do it. Uh, the, the first one, uh, he's palmed straight to Wijnaldum. Uh, the third one, with no real need to do it, he's just kind of put out to the wing when there's nobody there and they fired it straight back in for a winner. It, it was oh, yeah, frustrating to watch. I didn't think we saw much from Depay or uh, De Jong. Wijnaldum showed what we spoke about last week in when he's given the free reign that he's given it uh, uh, for the national side. He's a problem. Yeah, you can see um, in the show as well that he's got a leadership to him as well. Yeah. He does seem to, to dictate a lot more and he's instructing people a lot more, which I thought they... Um, they probably look slightly more threatening going forward. Even if Depay didn't have, you know, a, a huge game, I, st- I still thought there's a lot going through him that I thought, yeah. okay, these, these are a better attacking outfit than I probably thought. But I, I still get the feeling that they're fortunate the group they're in. 
Yeah, I feel sure. like they could have been, had flop potential had they been in a hard group. Yeah, and Ukraine going forward, I don't think they should be too discouraged because, first of all, they were right in it. Their keeper really did them dirty. Yeah. The, yeah, the delivery from set pieces, if you take the Yarmolenko uh, peach out of it, Malinovsky, who was the guy we kind of highlighted as their star man last week, his delivery for the second goal, if he can keep that consistently on their set pieces, they'll go a long way just off the basis of that. Yeah, yeah, you'd back them against uh, the rest of the group, I think. If the header for the second was lovely. Yeah, yeah, it's, it was a strange game, wasn't it? Because there was shifts, swings in momentum between the two teams where, where when they were when they were running high, you were you were kind of high on both of these teams. You kind of thought, okay, I yeah. I can see what these teams are about, and then they both showed their frailties as well. I think it went against what I said because I always say when the side comes back from two, they then they're always going to win the game. That just seems to be how the script's written at that point. But Ukraine didn't uh, didn't abide. No. no One of the we see players come through in these tournaments and. Uh, Denzel Dumfries was is probably the standout one so far in terms of a player making a name for themselves. In, in a window and at a time when fullbacks are as important as they are, at right back, when you're looking at someone like Hakimi, who's supposedly going for around 80 million this summer, you've got to be thinking clubs are going to be looking at a player like that and thinking, oh, I'll save myself about 60 million here, and he looks like he can do a great job for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he had that one horror miss earlier on in the game. Yeah. I kind of feel like you can excuse a defender missing in in a way that you can't when it's an attacking player. Certainly when he ends up getting the winner, you can. Well, because he had Uh, three or four chances as well, and that that shows it's not a fluke that he's kind of found himself in that position. Yeah, that's what I was was coming on to, the fact that he did keep getting in these positions shows his quality. The fact that he, he had a bad miss, is, that happens. Yeah. But uh, he, you felt like watching him, I'm going to be keen to watch him for the next two games to see how he gets on. Because they've got, um, on the other side, and I think they may start differently next time out because Van Arnholt did himself no favours moving forwards as a free agent this summer. Um, Owen Wyndell, who they can bring on there, they've got two fullbacks under the age of 23 who really whether the clubs like it or not, are putting themselves in the shop window. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How, how incredible is it that Van Arnhoek gets a call-up for Netherlands, by the way? That's, I know, when uh, Palace are just happy to let him go. <laughs> yeah, Palace aren't interested. That's, that's a bad indictment on this. I, I actually gone. think, oh, I'll say this now, I actually think we're going to sign him this summer, Van Arnhoek. That, that would feel very... I think honest, it fits so if, in... If you cover, cover for Tierney, I... I can kind of see it. The issue is that it's not so much cover for Tierney as it is like you're going to be playing about a third of the season. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but I do think he'd be happy to come in a second choice. So that's just one. Whenever we were linked with Bertrand, I, I thought from January onwards that the Van Arnholt one just seemed a bit more realistic. Agreed, yeah, agreed. Um, but it remains to be seen. He, he may fancy a bigger payday than I hope we've learned our lesson with Cedric. But <laughs> who knows? Who knows how these things work? Um, last game then, really, to, to speak about, and that was Scotland earlier. Um, Czechs coming in, 
kind of seen as uh, this was the battle of kind of the boo boys in the in the group. Hmm. I don't think we we learned much more. Has your opinion changed on either side? Because if anything, my opinion on Scotland has probably gone down. But as for the Czech Republic, it's probably where it was beforehand. Yeah, that's probably a fair take. Um, I I think the the res- as I, I guess I kind of alluded to just now. I, I do think the result looks and will feel bad for Scotland in a way that when you when you watch the game, they had just as good, if not better, chances and were well in it. I thought it was a good 50-50 game and they yeah. actually created the better chances on the whole and did have some bad moments of luck. I'm thinking of the one where it gets deflected just into the roof of the net, the one, yeah. I think they hit the bar, didn't they? And then that one, where it would have been a lucky goal, but they were unlucky that the keeper makes such a good save that's going over his head and he tips it back <laughs> out. And just doesn't tip it into the player, managed to get it into a free space. It was so I, I actually felt on a different day, Scotland probably could have got a big result there, and, and people would be talking about them differently. Uh, instead, they're kind of the assumption is they could be the whipping boys. It's quite a fun game, wasn't it? In terms of some of the others, we've yeah. Seen. I thought it was, I thought it was a really good watch, and obviously the the we've had the goal of the tournament so far there, which I think. At the time, I don't think the commentators fully given the credit deserves. It was unbelievable in terms of just inch no. perfect. But uh, the header as well was great. I thought it was a yeah. really, really good header that probably, again, probably didn't get the props it fully deserved. All right, just before we go today, if um, if I can reel you off some transfer gossip and uh, if you give me your instant reaction to each one. Um, Leicester City are plotting a move for Barcelona midfielder Philip Coutinho. Um, looking at a potential of seventeen million pounds or a potential loan switch. It'd be great business. If you're very lucky. Yeah, it seems as opposite as I can imagine Leicester doing. Yeah, and I think they could end up in a position where you have too many chefs. Well, I'm assuming him and Madison probably couldn't play at the same time. No. So you know, what do you need? I don't know that he's necessarily the first thing they need. Not saying, you know, he's a great player, so you, you take it. But I don't think it's that should be their priority. No. Uh, Real Madrid are set to offer Sergio Ramos a new contract as they fear Varane leaving the club. <laughs> so Sevilla are apparently willing to make Ramos the highest paid player in their history and give him a three-year deal with an option to stay on at the club if he chooses at the end of it. So I guess it's where he feels prioritised because the interviews he's done beforehand suggest he, he doesn't feel too wanted in Madrid No I think it is a case of one of him or Varane has to go Because they just brought in Alaba haven't they And you'd probably be thinking well we'll, we'll stick with Varane the younger guy um, But obviously if they do offer him a new deal because of where Varane's going to go I don't think that really uh, gets rid of his feelings they don't want me very much <laughs> I trust Ramos more at 35 than I do Varane at 28. I think if, I think if Varane goes to United, it'll be a horror show. You reckon? The, the games we've seen of him, and I'd say between us with people that are going to watch an okay amount of La Liga throughout the course of the season, yeah, the Champions yeah, yeah. League is really where we're judging these guys. He's not someone who stands out to me as a guy I'm going to break the bank for. No, I think he has been traditionally uh, a little bit overrated over the years. Uh, it's because he's quick, basically. <laughs> yeah, he's not quick, which you know can get you out of trouble a fair amount, uh, which is why I would think 
he probably would be okay at United just in terms of that pace can get him out of trouble even if he isn't a great yeah. signing. But it, it depends, isn't it? Because if they think he's got five or six years in him, then even if you would trust Ramos in a game you know, now, he's not going to have that much time in him. So. No. Um, Real Madrid manager Carlo Ancelotti has asked club bosses to make a move for Chelsea's 25-year-old German striker, Timo Werner. <laughs> Those Madrid fans would not be kind to that man. Oh my god! Imagine if you had the season <laughs> like he's just that. Oh dear lord. Um, Spain midfielder Juan Mata will have to take a pay cut of seventy thousand a week if he wants to remain at Man United beyond his current contract. So he should. Yeah. But he's the caretaker at this point, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, it's a strange one that they're even going to offer him a new deal. I mean, by all accounts, a lovely man, and that is obviously what can get you this contract here because it's not because they're playing him. Yeah. Um, Bruce Dortmund will trigger a clause in Drew Bellingham's contract when he turns 18 later in June, which will extend his contract to 2025. Good business for them. Yeah, yeah. Once again, phenomenal from them. And I think... It, we felt it at the time, but it certainly looks like it now. Phenomenal decision from him and I think his dad's agent, isn't he? Yeah. Phenomenal decision from them to go there. Looks the absolute Absolutely. perfect move. Where he's he's playing every week. He's obviously developing slightly out of the spotlight from England as well, which probably does help. And, and look, we know he'll get the, the big move one day. We've, we've yeah. seen the pattern with, with Dortmund. Um, do you see Tony Adams came out previously and said, like, the work had been done, like Arsenal could have made the move he was willing to move and then when he contacted people at the club they said they didn't know who he was <laughs> bad luck isn't it oh, a what documentary on Arsenal would be uh, as much a as hideous, uh, watch. Tony Adams status is confirmed at Arsenal I do think sometimes he has a time to he has a, a tendency to talk a bit of waffle so I'm not sure quite how true but good story lot, regardless yeah 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 I think a lot of your le- uh, legendary ex-players kind of fit that category, don't they? Yeah, it's yeah, an, odd, sure. an odd relationship <laughs> you've got with some of them. Yeah. Um, Juventus and World Cup winning Italy goalkeeper Buffon is poised to rejoin Serie B side Palmer 20 years after he joined the club. That's phenomenal. That's a, I was thinking that's straight in the uh, De Rossi to Boca Juniors sort of core moves. Yeah. Sort of moves. Yeah, for sure. Imagine uh, if they got the whole Palmer squad back together. That would be great. <laughs> England midfielder Jesse Lingard has told United manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that he wants to remain with the Red Devils after a successful loan spell at West Ham. Oh, huge mistake. Yeah. Huge mistake. I thought I thought you were going to end that saying he wants to go to West Ham. No, although I'm not sure Ole will be as keen on having him. So, um no. He should maybe look at the season Van der Beek's had and say that could be me. And, and it does um, seem to be a similar tension between him and Oli that I don't, I don't think is good. No, yeah. I, I think him and Moyes clearly have a decent relationship and I, I think West Ham's perfect for him. Yeah, I agree. Um, Tottenham's 31-year-old French midfielder Moussa Sissoko is on the radar of Serie A side Napoli. That's a, that is a, a bit of transfer gossip even Spurs fans probably don't care about. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else was there? I saw another that I was going to end up. Uh, 
Uh, Everton and Leeds are both in the frame to sign Real Madrid left-back Marcelo, the 33-year-old Brazilian not in the plans of Ancelotti. Marcelo in Leeds is something that I would love to see. <laughs> what do you mean, just walk around the town, sir? <laughs> yeah, it'd just be a funny move. <laughs> he, I think, and look, could be famous last words on my part. I think he will be horrific. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, you'd speculate how Varane would go. His would be. I've only seen bits of him in the league this year and, and it hasn't been pretty. Yeah. I'd love him to go to Everton. That'd be phenomenal. Yeah. Um, uh, Bournemouth have had another attempt to make Patrick Vieira their manager turned down. Lukaku he said he, he's a free agent at the moment. Whether it turned out, I don't understand. The... He's, yeah, I think he fancied the Premier League job. But he oh, you said he turned it out. I thought you said yeah. like he was not being allowed. To, no, but, sorry. Yeah, um, he could probably sneak one, couldn't he? Lukaku's poured cold water on any move to Chelsea this summer. And Barcelona have told 24-year-old France winger Ousmane Dembele to sign a new contract or leave the club. <laughs> Preferably for a lot of money, because we're fucked. Yeah, yeah. They want they want Bernardo Silver apparently. Ah, oh, that's just your house is burning down. Stop looking at TVs. <laughs> Stop it. What, what are you doing? Going to Curry's for? Don't. You've got to sort your house out. They also want Latara Martinez. Um, insane. Who, Absolutely insane. After they just signed Aguero, seems pretty. Uh, counterproductive but They've literally said there's go. a potential fire sale at the club everyone's up for sale but we're still going to go out and try and sign people mad yeah yeah it's very strange but there we go um that just about wraps up for today a nice uh, one hour 20 minute episode short and sharp the last question i will ask you movie madness this week we've got jurassic park up against dude where's my car which is the <laughs> one for you oh Honestly, dude, where's my car? Jurassic Park, probably. I, and I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge Jurassic Park guy either, but I do respect. It is a good film. Well, Sean's out of uh, Thursday's pod, and uh, Jack is also out of Thursday's pod. So if Sean doesn't watch them and send me a scorecard, then the fate of Jurassic Park will partly land in Keenan's hands, who has already stated, if you can believe this, he doesn't like the film. Has he? Uh, has he seen the second one? I just wonder if Vince could charm him. Because I can't even remember the second one. As I said, I, I've not watched these since I was a kid. I can literally just remember, like, this is how I knew what I've lost her up to was, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. And I have yeah. a scene with uh, the kids uh, hiding Vince behind was in his, uh, Vince was in his midst of uh, trying to carve out a serious career at this point, so he was in the second one. Well, there we go. Maybe if I enjoy the first one, I'll go back and watch the second. But... As I said, thank you again for listening. We'll be back Friday and the next Monday, of course. Um, yeah, maybe the week after that, maybe it could be a different day. So we'll be back, basically. Hopefully England have beaten Scotland. Goodbye. <laughs>